Oh, no. Oh, God, banter. I think we have, like, enough. Yeah, uh, let's yep. do it. Okay. <coughs> <coughs> All right. Hello, and welcome to Jesuitical, a new podcast from the decreasingly young, occasionally hip, and consistently lay editors of American Media. Nice. <laughs> that lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. How are we doing, guys? Oh, wait. Sorry. I'm Ashley McKinless. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm joined by Zach Davis. Hey, everyone. And Olga Cigarette. Hi, guys. How you doing, guys? <laughs> Pretty good. Any Anything going on in the news today? Yeah, I was going to say. I'm like just a like, nothing. It's a slow day. <laughs> Nothing has happened. Wondering if, you know, the Republic is going to survive. <laughs> yeah, no. Calm down. Calm down. It's what we all said. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, it, you're listening to this on Friday, but it's Wednesday, and last night the news of James Comey being fired as FBI director dropped, and so it seems to be all anyone can talk about today for I, some reason. I thought House of Cards was supposed to come out at the end of this month. <laughs> no, House of Cards is really going to have to outdo its writing because it really is. our actual government is way more outrageous than anything they could have written. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. So James Comey was raised Catholic, but he converted to Methodism, so we don't really need to... What? Talk about this. <laughs> Next. Ready? Next. Moving on. Oh, my goodness. And the award for ecumenical, <laughs> the spirit of ecumenism goes to Ashley McKinless. <laughs> I just wanted a way out. Okay. Today, we've got Tom Bedoyne, an associate professor of theology at Fordham University, who will be talking to us about uh, the theology behind music, such as that of Beyonce, George Harrison, etc. Um, and then after that, we'll be sharing our consolations and desolations, where we tell you where we did or did not find God this week. Excellent. Indeed. But first, what's on TAPSAC? So we have another recommendation. So uh, Ilona wrote in, uh, who is French and living in Belgium, um, but hoping that we could toast to the French election and voters and the choices that they made and that we may raise a glass to the new president-elect Emmanuel Macron. So in the spirit of that, Ashley has picked up for us a Cab Franc. <laughs> so uh, may I suggest we all raise a glass? Yeah. Yeah. Let's do it. Thanks, Ilona. <laughs> Okay, now it's time for Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. On Sunday, Pope Francis ordained six new priests uh, in a mass at St. Peter's Basilica. Um, and as we have come to expect from Papa Frank, he had a pretty blunt message for them. He said, a priest who perhaps has studied a lot of theology and has one, two, or three degrees who has not learned to carry the cross of Christ is useless. Yeah, and so, I mean, that makes sense. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but if you don't know Jesus, and part of knowing Jesus is knowing Jesus' cross. So if you don't know that, you're not going to be a good priest. Yeah, and I especially like that he was kind of like, don't get super theological, just like... Uh, see, I, he also said, yeah, he said, don't give homilies that are too intellectual or elaborate. And I was like, but I like intellectual homilies. <laughs> yeah, no, same. <laughs> Yeah, I was also torn by that. I was like, ah, but please don't dumb it down. I, I, well, I don't think he meant to dumb it down. It was just kind of like, you have to speak simply, because not everyone is going to be able yeah. to like relate to super theological language. Not anomaly. everyone's as smart as Ashley. 
and not everyone is as smart as you guys. So we gotta. <laughs> we, 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 All right. Okay. <laughs> Next story. Next story. Um, comes from the Archdiocese of Kansas City, which has recently decided to cut ties with the Girl Scouts because of their association with groups, groups like Oxfam or Amnesty International that have, uh, that have positions that are, uh, against church teaching. Um, so I am biased in this case because I was a Girl Scout. My mom still is a Girl Scout. And so I think this is ridiculous. Robert McCarty, who's a former executive director of the National Federation for Catholic Youth Ministry, told the Washington Post, I think the last time this was a big scandal. Uh, it's a whole thing of guilt by association. Does one policy with which you can't agree prevent you from being involved in broader coalitions? My position is that the only way to advocate for the church's position is to be engaged in the dialogue. Is, are you guilty by association? Uh, like, I don't think so. Yeah. And no, he's like literally saying that they can't sell cookies. Yeah. Right. Which is a great tragedy. They came for the trefoils, and I said nothing, because who cares about trefoils? <laughs> <laughs> um, next, Tiffany Trump will be attending classes at Georgetown Law School in the fall. So oh, wow. following in the steps of her father, she will get some Jesuit education. We'll see if she'll go a step beyond and yes. actually graduate if from she, our Jesuit school. Right, if she doesn't leave halfway through. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, what Jesuit school did Trump go to again? Your uh, Jesuit I'm, school. I, I, totally kidding. I know. Don't I worry. Know. He left. We don't count him as a ram. So, <laughs> In more serious news, uh, by May 23rd, the Trump administration will have to decide the fate of 50,000 Haitians who are living in the U.S. under temporary protected status. These are people who left Haiti after the 2010 earthquake that um, brought a great deal of destruction to that island nation. Um, and so for the past seven years, their temporary status has been extended uh, under Obama. And now Trump gets to decide if they can continue to stay here. Um, but currently he's having uh, the uh, immigration authorities look into every crime that has been committed by a Haitian with this status. So Yeah, investigating crimes on the basis of someone's nationality is what some would define racist. Yeah. Yeah. And some others would define unconstitutional. And some would definitely define as unchristian because these are people who have fled yeah. a place where they literally mm -hmm. cannot live because their houses have been destroyed. And now they are here. Many of them have had children here. They've been here for seven years. So it's also a matter of splitting up families. Um, so let's pray that by May 23rd, they come to a good decision on yes. this. Um, in other Trump news, last Thursday, May 4th, Trump was surrounded by Catholic leaders, uh, Cardinal Wuerl of D.C., Cardinal DiNardo, the, pre uh, the president of the Bishop's Conference, um, while he signed a executive order on religious liberty and health care. So. Yeah, no one's really sure what it says. A lot of hype, but... But they, the ACLU is all ready to sue over it. And then they were like, we don't even think this is <laughs> worth bothering about. You yeah, got if you're not pissing off the ACLU, you're doing something wrong. Right. Ashton Kutcher came out and said, you've been punked, Trump voters. <laughs> oh, God. Also last week, Donald Trump announced uh, that for his first trip abroad as president of the United States, he would be visiting Israel, Saudi Arabia, and a place that his cardinals love very much, <laughs> Rome, a.k.a. the Vatican. Yes. Yeah. So uh, 
That's quite the trip. Yeah. It's quite the trip. And also, I don't, I was so disgusted by like the phrase of. So what exactly did he say? That a place my Cardinals love very much. Yeah. Just like using my Cardinals. Even right. Pope Francis would not say yeah. my Cardinals. <laughs> nope. And they're arguably his. <laughs> they definitely are his. <laughs> uh, it might be the last time. I'm sure they were equally not amused by that. So that might be the last time. They gather in the Rose Garden yeah. for President Trump. Yeah. I mean, it's just such bad optics for us, too. It. Yeah. But Pope Francis is going to receive Donald Trump at the end of the month. May 24th, so, correct? Correct. And so they're going to meet. And except this is not the first time that they've come up in each other's Twitter feeds. <laughs> right, right. So when Francis was elected Pope and 20, if I could just maybe go through the brief history of yes, please Definitely. Pope v. Trump on Twitter. 2013, Francis is elected Pope and Donald Trump tweets, congratulations to my Catholic friends on the selection of Pope Francis I to lead the Catholic Church. People that know him love him. That's but, interesting he says that because people who knew him were kind of like, <laughs> Even the Jesuits. <laughs> right, right. Like, this is kind of weird. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, President Trump, you don't have a first until there's a second. Right. He's just Pope Francis. A few days later, though, after Pope Francis was shown paying his own hotel bill, <laughs> which the rest of the world was like, wow, that's so humble. so humble. Like, wow, we love him. Donald Trump tweets, I don't like seeing the Pope standing at the checkout counter front in parentheses, front desk, in case there was confusion, <laughs> of a, the checkout counter of a hotel in order to pay his bill. It's not Pope-like. <laughs> it's actually extremely Pope-like, but okay, sure. Yeah. And in Christmas 2013, uh, President Trump is once again pleased with Francis. Came back around. And himself. <laughs> the new Pope is a humble man, very much like me, which probably explains why I like him so much. Oh, oh my Lord. God. Please stop. <laughs> yeah, so this this may be an interesting meeting because yeah. he is... In I mean, ma- and that was all even before Donald Trump yeah. was running for president, yeah. in which yeah. case they clashed over the pre- or candidate Trump's calls for building a wall and yeah, keeping and out in, immigrants. In, in so many ways, he's the complete polar opposite of uh, Pope Francis. So this is going to be very interesting to see how they interact with each other. Though that's not stopped uh, several pundits from shelling out for to write hot takes on how they're the same. Yeah, well, yeah. they do speak off the cuff. That is lot. my least favorite. <laughs> that is the worst. The, the Pope Francis is the same as Donald Trump. Take is the worst take. Oh, Lord. Yeah, no. Populist. So then when, <laughs> as you said, candidate uh, Trump was talking about building walls, Pope Francis said, uh, basically, anyone who wants to build walls is not Christian. Yeah. Um, that person is not a Christian. He didn't name yeah. names. And then Donald Trump uh cuts to he just screamed at him like <laughs> so so it turns out the pope is questioning donald trump's faith or something like that and that is disgraceful and shameful and i'm trying to get the hand motions yeah, right trying- <laughs> as well um, yeah, and he's and he said they're using the pope as a pawn <laughs> <laughs> so yes we'll see i don't know what's gonna happen yeah. uh is it weird that i'm slightly hopeful i'm kind of hoping that He'll meet Pope Francis and just like... Like John Boehner, he'll be like, I quit! Yes! That that is exactly what I'm waiting for. Yeah, maybe. Or just, you know, have some kind of change of heart, you know? Um, But... (laughs) Sorry, I can't even say anything after (laughs) We wait and joyful hope. (laughs) And then to a place that my cardinals love very much, Rome. (laughs) 
my cardinals, my cardinals, my cardinals. Rome. So I just wrote this out very quickly about the Pope. Do you want to hear it? Should I read it to you? Okay. They're using the Pope as a pawn. Donald J. Trump is calling for total and complete. He actually said that maybe I'm not a good Christian or something. It's unbelievable, which is really not a nice thing to say. That's without looking at the various polling data. It's going to get worse and worse. Remember the poll numbers. 25%, 51%. And he's questioning my faith. I was very surprised to see it, but I am a Christian. Okay? My Cardinals love Rome. And so we're pleased to welcome Tom Bedoin, Associate Professor of Religion at Fordham University. Welcome to Jesuitical, Tom. Thank you. Nice to be with you for some day drinking and theological (laughs) conversation. Yeah, we're very excited to have you. Um, I'm excited for several reasons. One, because you're from my alma mater. um, So you're kind of taking me back. And two, you're teaching this really great course where you kind of theologically study a lot of artists that I personally love. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yes, the course I'm teaching that uh, is running into its last couple weeks now is called Faith in Music, Sound Theology from the Blues to Beyonce. (laughs) And uh, basically, it's a free public course online offered by Fordham University in partnership with the radio station at Fordham, WFUV. It's a partnership actually between FUV and my school, the Graduate School of Religion to offer theological education to the public. So it's open. it's been open to anyone in the world, and we have about 106 students taking it around the world. So it's it's from blues to Beyonce. Yes. So what are some of the artists you chose, and, and what was behind your thinking for those, for including well, I, them? WFUV uh, worked with me for a long time. Um, they handled the, the musical questions, and then I had to think theologically what might this add up to for the, myself and for the students. So we start with Robert Johnson and blues, putting us in the 20s and 30s uh, in the American South, in the Delta. Uh, and then we go to Sister Rosetta Tharp, also in the Delta, um, artist who crossed over from uh, church into jazz and pop in the 30s, 40s, 50s, um, and uh, early rock and roll. Uh, and then we go to Elvis Presley, and then um, from Elvis Presley, we go to George Harrison, uh, from there to uh, Carlos Santana, to Lauren Hill, uh, to Bjork, and then to Beyonce. That is eclectic. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. How do you feel about people who, you know, you have an artist like Beyonce, and people will be so against the notion of her being spiritual or her being religious in any way. How do you respond to those to those takes? When you say people will respond, will push back against her being religious, can you say a little more about what you, how you experience that? Well, I guess, you know, her, her recent album, she did Lemonade in 2016. And to me, that was an unbelievably religious album, like just from the visuals to the lyricism. But there are people who find her extremely profane and just say, there's no way you can find God in that kind of music. Yes. You know? So how would you respond to something or like you, that? Or you have people who are just saying that you're like baptizing something that's not right there. Right. That's right. Well, those are excellent questions. And now we would need about three hours to really open this up. <laughs> well, I don't try, know if we have enough wine, but... <laughs> let me try to be... Uh, I'll, I'll try to be brief. So... Beyonce is the last artist that we study in my course before the wrap-up conversation. And I have a whole lecture on Lemonade because I think it's very important. And I go into detail in trying to make sense of what she's doing there as a theologian. So 
you're right. There can be a, a tendency to try, want to separate out what some people see as the overly sexualized performative gestures that she makes and, and some of her language and some of the lyrics and some of her songs and to separate that, that, that out or to see it as a judgment against the more identifiably religious aspects of her music. I think in an interesting way, it all goes together. And there, there's something uh, about um, Beyonce herself that uh, is coming through in this conglomeration of things that that may not on their face add up. And it has to do with her own sense for uh, what matters most. And this is one way to think about what faith is. And it's very important for me that when we're teaching theology publicly, and even if it's even if it's teaching to the the the, the fan base or whatever, uh, that that faith not be, presented as something at the outset as just the property of one particular group, uh, as, as being able to specify in advance the characteristics of one particular God. But uh, faith is really a, a matter of coming to terms with what matters most in your life uh, and with what is uh, worth living from and what is worth living for and um, the justice question, what is worth living with. Uh, that's going on within me and around me. So if we take those questions to Beyonce, what matters most? What's worth living with? What's worth living for? Then we see um, clearly sexual agency is an important part of that conversation. African-American women's sexual agency in, in a way that I think fits together in this, it, under the category, the theological category of womanist theology. Now, um, Womanism is a, a school of theology and a theological approach that that helps make sense of what she's doing there because she has to, uh, on the one hand, battle uh, to be taken seriously simply because of how she presents herself on the popular music scene uh, because of the uh, legacy of white supremacy in popular music. Um, and part of that is also she's expect in order to carry that water that she is assigned to carry uh, for the artist of color. She's expected to manifest some sexual propriety and to be on guard against sexual impropriety. Well, she's playing with that as well. And she is exercising some degree of agency there about calling the shots for herself sexually and in Lemonade, as you mentioned, um, describing to her partner, probably Jay-Z, in this narrative, that she can take him or leave him, and that this is her choice, given what's happening here. And so uh, a lot of this is the, is the discovery and performance of um, black women's sexual, spiritually rich, moral agency and self-assertion that, that comes together uh, in a way that many women of color, if you read theological commentaries online about Lemonade, it's very important to read the commentaries uh, as as racially significant commentaries and gender significant commentaries from women of color uh, and arguments and disagreements that are going on there and then other folks' arguments and disagreements that are going on there. Do you think that Beyonce can become an idol? It's complicated because sometimes your what looks like idolatry, right? Worship of this particular artist, obsession with this particular artist. Some people have that about film or about television shows or something. For me, it's in the musical world. Sometimes what looks like that 
can actually be your way of working through something important in your life and getting to a mother figure, a father figure, or something else that you need to help you get somewhere in your life. And so that's, I tend not to go to those labels. Are you going to add some Kendrick Lamar to the course in the future? It Do you seems think like, I should? I think you should. Some yes. Kendrick and some Chance. Well, now, can you say just a little bit more about why you think that would be beneficial? Well, for Kendrick, he's just so explicitly religious. And his latest album, it's literally him talking about the fear of God and how his theology has changed since, you know, Good Kid, Mad City up until Damn. So I think, yeah, I think it it would be like a very great way to talk to your students and to sort of present a different kind of theology, the same way that Beyonce presents a Christianity that's not, you know, the white Christianity we see. Kendrick Lamar is very much not the the white Christianity we're used to. So I think, also, I'm just such a Kendrick fan that I think you should just do it. I'm very biased, so... (laughs) I think that's uh, an excellent suggestion. And a number of my undergraduates or younger graduate students, that's right where they go. Kendrick Lamar, Chance the Rapper, should be in this conversation. Well, since we're all giving suggestions, Ashley, who, 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 who should you be why are you doing this to me? <laughs> you have to. Wait, who was the emo artist you listened to when that boy didn't like you? Um, the the like main one that I listened to over and over again was Eve Six. Um, now I can't remember the name of the song. I think I blacked it out. But the, <laughs> like, put my heart in a blender song, what's that one? <laughs> oh, wow, you... I don't, I'm, I'm not doing this on purpose, but I have no idea. Yeah, what's it called? Uh, uh, rendezvous that, rendezvous uh, that I'm through with you. Wow. Wow. Major assist from the man off my Yeah. <laughs> He's not entirely sure he wants to be identified with that. So... What? Inside out. Inside out. There we go. Eve six. Inside out. Oh, see. Okay, I'm not up to speed on that. Okay. Thanks, Chris Wood. (laughs) Oh Oh, Lord. Um. Yeah. So. Moving on. You asked. (laughs) Um. Zach, what would you add? I will switch gears and go to the mountain goats. The mountain goats. Yes. Okay. Uh, And which a particular tune or. Well, they've gone through such a progression, or he, Josh Darnell, has gone through such a progression. Uh, and for me, he's probably the the greatest songwriter in my life. What's that um, that 2004 album with No Children? I forget what it's called, but I would say that one. I think they that also is willing to, as a songwriter, he's willing to come from a place of pain and suffering that manifests itself not in typical ways that artists do it sometimes comes out as jo- it, well, yeah. well it sometimes comes out it comes out as like hilarious it's so yeah. funny right yeah. and yeah. you're laughing at it yeah. and sometimes there are just a couple lyrics that like i mean in great songwriters do this it takes one line to cut straight to the heart right um right. so i would i'm gonna go with the mountain goats well what this whole conversation is reminding me of is, is something really important for the theology that i do which is that uh Songs and artists are never just one thing. So someone might be identified with a particular religious tradition or non-religious tradition in the case of Bjork, a more secular Icelandic sensibility. Um, but uh, even in the case of Bjork, you have um, a, a kind of certain romanticizing of a Viking pagan past and the, 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 the pressure of... Uh, Protestant Christianity in Iceland, also at the edges of those songs. 
that she may or may not be aware, to some degree she's aware of and to some degree she's not aware of. Someone like Lauren Hill, whom many, whom many would identify as a Christian artist, grew up Christian in New Jersey, and a lot of Christian themes in that uh, first famous solo record, Miseducation. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, there's a lot of Rasta themes, and her time in Jamaica and her relationship uh, with the Marley family uh, brought Rasta in a profound way into her music. So this is the way – so when we, we're looking for spiritual significance or, or, or theological um, awareness about songs, we have to remember to keep our imaginations and sensibilities open for multiplicity here and not look for just one thing. Um, and because this is also the way that religion works, just as Christianity is a conglomeration and, it, and around the world today, even in the U.S., a continued agglomeration of different traditions that feed into it. Uh, and it, and it, and it itself opens on to other things other than Christianity. Uh, so music too is the event of things coming in and things going out. We always end by asking our guests if they could canonize one person, living or not living, fictional or not. Musical or not? <laughs> Religious or not? Who would it be? Uh, someone who has been uh, very influential in in my formation, and that is somewhat canonical in academic life, uh, and who was raised Catholic. Oh, this is actually a pretty good one. Okay, so <laughs> was raised Catholic and then went on to uh, a bigger house in a way. Uh, is Michel Foucault, a French philosopher who's very important to post-structural studies, gender and sexuality studies. Uh, Foucault is extremely interested in, in power and how power works on bodies and then how that, how, how that produces our sense of ourselves and the, the, the contingency that we have of the sense of ourselves and how these things that we take to be most ingredient about who we are are produced uh, through regimes of power. And it helps to get to know that about yourself so that you can handle yourself and, other, and your relationships more justly. Uh, but it was a Jesuit, uh, Father Jim Bernauer, who was a student of Michel Foucault in Paris and who introduced me to Foucault's thought. Um, and... Uh, and there's actually a book by David Halperin called Saint Foucault, because uh, he is a saint for uh, queer studies and theology uh, and gender theory today. So um, if you got any funny looks, it's because like two episodes ago, I brought up Discipline and Punish and everyone, oh. and everyone laughed at me. For trying to... Yeah, I was I was going to interrupt you because we already have a philosopher on staff who could have explained oh, it to us. But thank you. Anyways, but thanks for bringing the biopolitics into the conversation. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. Uh, yeah, I agreed. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah Beyonce no. and biopolitics. That's yeah, the I next, mean, yeah. that's the yeah, next let's one. do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, Tom, but thank you for joining us and thank you for the great conversation. Yeah. Well, thank great. you. This is really lively and uh, invigorating conversation and it's good wine too. So. <laughs> hey, we'll take it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Okay, time for some listener mail from Zach. He says, I'm sure you all hear this from many listeners, but you should totally try to get Colbert on the show. I agree with what Tracy said last week and that he's a great role model for the faith and seems like an all-around great dude. I think we should start like a social media campaign. Yeah. Instead of fire Colbert, like yeah. get Colbert on Jesuitical. <laughs> yeah, Zach. So if you want to spearhead that. 
<laughs> Please do. He also gives us a combo desolation consolation. I have a couple of married friends who are struggling getting pregnant and had a pretty rough week last week. And while it was rough seeing them both upset, they both also came out of it with a positive outlook and their focus on Christ, which was really inspiring. Thanks for sharing that, Zach. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. What else, Olga? So our next email came from Joey, who actually found us through our one of our favorite podcasts, Unorthodox. Woo. Shout out to Unorthodox. Jewish version of... We're the Catholic no, version no, of... No, no, don't even go there. We're <laughs> we, still we, the Catholic we, version we, of we Unorthodox. We can't do that yeah. yet. Not yet. Uh, so he writes, I'm really enjoying your podcast, and as a Jew, I'm learning quite a bit about Catholicism. It is so neat seeing some of the parallels between the two religions. Um, and he also related to my desolation last week going through... Um, my issues with my parents and just sort of seeing them get older. Um, his dad is a cancer survivor, so it really resonated with him. Um, so I'm glad. I'm glad you were able to relate to that, Joey. And thank you for listening. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Joey. So time for the results from our Twitter poll. We asked this week, because of the conversation we just had with Professor Bedoin, uh, where do you find God in secular music? Uh, so Xavier Campus Ministry, our students refuse to give up Phil Collins, can't stop loving you. <laughs> Tracy Chapman's The Promise also looms large. <laughs> um, Christine Pivovar says, oh, please do a segment on you too. I could, I'm not equipped to do a segment. The only thing that I, I as a generation, I feel like I'm not in the U2 generation. And the only thing I, the only thing that U2 is known for is that time they tried to put their new album on my iPhone without, yeah. without, oh, without permission, without yeah. asking me. And I couldn't figure out how to delete it. <laughs> well, also I like they, yourself blooping here. <laughs> Well, they also did like a random, I think it was when they were promoting this album, they did a random free concert at Fordham where like at Rose Hill and we were all there. And then Father McShane was just kind of like, you guys still got to go to class after this. And we were like in line at four or 5 a.m. So that's my connection to you too. So we will study up and then then maybe do a segment on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) Or even better, tell us, you should tell us why we should. So Christine, sell me on YouTube. Um, and then Steve, the missionary, wrote, I'm convinced the shape of you is about the Eucharist. Don't at me. <laughs> so what is the shape of you in my... Ed, Ed Sheeran. Oh. Okay. Okay. And what's don't at me? Uh, oh, my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> this is just going to become a thing where we just have Teaching to explain Ashley the Twitter lingo to Ashley. Again, I'm upset Ashley has more followers than I do. <laughs> <laughs> Listeners, follow Zach. So don't at me means, like, don't get in my replies uh, with yeah. you're an idiot that's the dumbest thing <laughs> I i've mean, ever heard by saying that you're literally asking them okay, yeah of course oh okay. ashley come on <laughs> ashley's gonna now be like check out this new america article it's really good don't <laughs> at me don't at me <laughs> um all right so from at peaches we've got one direction through the dark and from our own carrie weber um bruce springsteen of course so Hobby. Hobby. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you for everyone who responded to our Twitter poll. Yes. Thank you. Those are some good answers. Oh, oh, I have one more update. I found my misconnection. <gasps> you no! did? Yes. Oh, my God. So, are you just going to save this for the end, Zach? I w- yeah, it's really exciting. <laughs> so I need to give that a proper shout out. Hold, please. So if you missed last week's episode, I someone came up to me in a diner in New York and just said, Sorry to interrupt, but I love the podcast. Great work on it. And I was baffled and did not handle the situation well. (laughs) So uh, I put out a misconnection on last week's listener mail and was tweeted at, and I was very happy to discover this, Milton J. Bravo. So Milton J. Bravo said, 
in this week's misconnection segment, I met Zach Davis, not over omelets. So, <laughs> uh, great name. Yes, yeah, this is fantastic. <laughs> so, thank you for listening, and thank you for approaching me in oh a diner. Ashley has been going to that yeah, diner every day since. Yeah, I've just been sitting since. there waiting for someone to compliment me, and so, someone to be like, "I recognize your laugh." Awesome, great, thank you, good stuff. Um, so from Ilona, who provided or suggested our wine for tonight, she said her personal consolation was that France chose um, Emmanuel Macron over uh, Marine Le Pen and her disturbing brand of xenophobia and racism. And she said, fun fact, Wikipedia tells me that Mr. Macron actually went to a Jesuit high school growing up and chose to be baptized as Catholic at age 12. So. Also, I learned today that Macron was an assistant to Paul Ricoeur, the theologian, which blew my mind. I had no idea. And memory, history, and forgetting, he's thanked in the preface, which is bizarre. Don't know who that is. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to wait. If Ashley knew who it was, then I was going to fake it. But yeah. All right. So now on to our own consolations and desolations. What do you have, Olga? So I've got a desolation this week. Um, you know, we've talked about the different phases that we're in in our 20s. Um, and one of the things that I'm noticing is there's a lot of financial anxiety that I'm feeling as a 27 year old, especially when I see friends that are getting ready, like saving up for weddings, saving up for engagement rings. And I'm just like, I'm never going to own property in New York City. I'm never going to be able to like own a house here. And it's like stressing me out because I keep comparing myself to all the milestones that the people in my lives are are sort of going through. Um, so that's been sort of desolating for me lately. Yeah, that's it, yeah. not be, comparing yourself to other people. And yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Ashley, you got one? Similar. Um, Facebook is the perfect medium for compare and despair. Um, so I actually, this, is, this isn't completely desolating, but I saw on Facebook this weekend that someone I uh, lived with for a year um, during college and then was also a friend with for the rest of college got engaged this weekend which is great and, and that's your desolate yeah, <laughs> that's, no. that's pretty that's selfish great. of you actually <laughs> no so that's consoling I'm, I'm so happy for her because she looks happy but I can only say she looks happy because the only contact I still have with her is through like looking at her life on Facebook for the right. past five years um, so like learning about her not that she needed to like text me about her engagement, but the fact that we had grown so far apart that like I was just like it was a surprise that she was getting engaged suddenly right. on and learning it through Facebook um, was desolating for me because I I know this tendency in myself to like lose touch with people who are not like within a five mile <laughs> radius of me um, and Facebook and other like technology does have this great capacity to help us stay in contact with people um, who are living not in the same city as us, but I have trouble like using it that way and instead just use it to like, kind of like casually browse what is going on in other people's lives, which right. doesn't seem like the most fruitful way to use the technology. But it's also like you said, it's very easy to feel, despair with social media because it's so good at like keeping you in touch but also showing you like the best parts of everyone yeah. else's lives <laughs> like oh what a glamorous life you know yeah but also i don't i think everyone is bad at that i think it just sort of gives the illusion that other people are good at as you said like using the medium the right way mm -hmm. but um the similarity <laughs> i'm finding in both of yours is like looking at other people's lives and noticing what's going well and like good or even like 
other people must have been kept up with this person. I yeah. did not. I failed. Mm-hmm. That is the, or I'm not doing what these other people are doing. So I'm failing. And that's, that is not the spirit of good of God. Yeah. yeah. But also, isn't it like good to sometimes want to be better? <laughs> I don't know. Like, yeah, is it the, so bad that I like look at other people and assume that they're keeping in touch and that makes me want to keep in touch? Well, I think it's the orientation of where your desires are, mm-hmm. right? If it's because other people are doing it or because I genuinely want to be like, I mean, keep other those people, relationships. It, other people can like be a reminder, but they can't be like your, your orientation can't be focusing on that as mm-hmm. a comparison as much as, you know, wanting to being moved to reach out to this person and regain yeah. contact. All right, Sophia, if you're listening, I need to stop doing the call-outs. <laughs> Send us an email so Ashley can read it and be consoled by that next week. Yeah. All right. What about you, Zach? I'll end this with a consolation. Okay. Uh, yeah. So last week's my la- last week's desolation for me had to do with finding a new apartment, and I'm happy to announce we signed a lease. Yeah. yeah. Um, In my neighborhood. Yeah. So Ashley and I are gonna be neighbors. Um, and that doesn't mean that the craziness of all of this is over yet. Uh, you know, we signed a lease uh, Monday and are moving Sunday. And so, all, yeah, all of a sudden <laughs> wow. I'm like, that's quick. you know, so there's still all the thing like transition of getting the keys and cleaning the apartment and packing up and then cleaning that apartment and then moving it. And so everything still feels very much in flux. But the consolation is that even though all these moving parts are swirling around me, that you know, the security of home right, right. Um, is really, really strongly felt. So that is my consolation this yeah. week. It's super consoling because you were really stressed out about this last week. And like, now so, I'm excited. Now yeah. you're excited. So, and yeah. like, we get to be excited with you. So, so that's my consolation. Be excited. Awesome. Okay. Roll credits. Roll credits. Judge Whittacle. Finish drinks. <laughs> <laughs> Chug it. <laughs> Judge Whittacle is brought to you by America Media and produced by Wyatt Massey and Eloise Blondieau. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup, SJ. Adult supervision provided by Carrie Weber. Adverbs provided by self-professed ab nerd Stephen Grant. Our logo is by Sean Tripoli, and you can follow us on Twitter at Judge Show and on iTunes and Stitcher and whatever your favorite podcast app is. And send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at americamedia.org. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, for America Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Zach Davis and Olga Segura, and we'll see you next week. Bye.